Welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. Every two weeks, we post podcast versions of one of our free training videos, or you can access our videos now at beyondordinarywomen.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. I'm Kelly Araby, and I'm here today with Kelly Matthews and Dr. Sue Edwards. Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. Kelly and Sue have written a new book they've just released called 40 Questions About Women in Ministry. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for inviting us. So tell us a little bit about yourselves and why you are passionate about writing this book. I know it's close. The topic is close to your hearts. Go ahead, Sue. Okay. Well, (laughs) uh, we're women, first of all, (laughs) and both of us have been in ministry and we have faced the issue of what is it that we are called to do as women in ministry, our identity? I know I came to faith when I was 24 back in the 70s, actually, and and received the message that I was to be quiet and under the authority of my husband. And uh, my husband and I are very different in our gift mix. And both of us tried to be who we were told we were supposed to be. My husband has a gift of serving and evangelism. I have gifts of leadership and teaching. And we tried to fit that mold and neither of us were comfortable. It wasn't the way that God wired us. And as a result, In our marriage, we struggled until we finally figured out that these roles, so-called roles, really were not, were not biblical. And I found a little bit of the same kinds of things when I got into ministry. I went to seminary. I was a Bible teacher. I was teaching women for many, many years. And then was called into seminary teaching and was asked to co-teach in the seminary classroom and and worked with women who we just have struggled for so many years with what is it that God wants us to do, frees us to do. And I've studied this a long time, probably about 40 years and wrestled with it myself and been teaching it about 10 years as well on the doctoral level. It is an important question because it deals with uh, women's identities, with their service, who we are in Christ and what we can do. So Mm -hmm. it just, it affects all of us. Mm -hmm. With so many resources that are available on this topic, how is your book different? I'll jump in. Um, Most books will argue one side or the other. You'll have uh, complementarians giving their uh, research into the various passages that support, you know, or they will show you why they support their view, as will egalitarians. They're going to show you the same verses and how they come to their conclusion of why equal in role and, uh, you know, ontologically, all of that. So our, our book takes both sides and we basically have tried to call down to 40 questions, which we gathered from a little survey on Facebook, believe it or not. Uh, and we, I think we got 80 plus questions, which we had to pull together and create this list. And 
we research. We, I have never read more before I wrote <laughs> than doing this book. Uh, my husband's like more books. So um, I just have shelves full now of books on the topic from both sides. And so we researched how each side came to their conclusions and we just basically culled it down and, you know, made it more concise and uh, readable for the average church person as, you know, pastors, people who aren't necessarily in seminary. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of Greek and Hebrew in it as well. And a lot of footnotes, but it's very readable so that, you know, anybody can, can pick it up and get a good idea of which, how each side comes at their argument. Mm-hmm. So what was your goal in writing the book? Well, I would say that our goal was to reach those who are confused about this issue, who haven't really studied it in depth, and who don't have the time to read all the books that Kelly's talking about or to go at it in the depth that Kelly was talking about, or who don't have the uh, language skills, because a lot of this depends on uh, what words are chosen in the scriptures for a particular interpretation uh, of a particular term. And so what we really tried to do was present an unbiased presentation of the key voices of the different sides and present the arguments clearly and concisely And then ask the reader to weigh those themselves and make up their own mind. And we tried to pull all that together in one book so that they wouldn't have to go and and read Mm -hmm. all these different resources. Yeah, it's great. And if they want to, we have a bibliography. (laughs) (laughs) We absolutely do. Yes, yes, yes. So. So I know that in reading the book, Two of you chose some different labels for the two primary groups that have been battling over this for so such a long time. Why did you choose different labels for the two groups? Well, we don't like either one of the labels, and, uh, and we're not <laughs> That's alone. That's right. Yeah. Okay, so we're not alone. Um, most people complain about how okay, fine. If I have to use this word, I guess I'll be this. And the two terms, in case, you know, listeners and viewers don't know, are complementarians and egalitarians. So complementarians are the ones who believe that while equal in dignity and image bearing, that women still have different roles and that men are to be in the lead, particularly in church and home. Egalitarians believe that there's no ranking system at all and that women are free to serve according to their gifts and calling. But by using those terms, the various camps have kind of poached on the other. You know, uh, egalitarians also believe that men and women are complementary. And to a certain extent, complementarians believe that women and men are equal, at least in dignity and value. So they're not real accurate. Mm -hmm. And so we decided to just try our hand at terms that were more accurate. And so the ones we chose were hierarch, because, and that would be sort of, analogous to the complementarians because their underlying premise is that there is a hierarchy built into creation of men and women, that this is God's ordained plan. And then heterarch, because it's not a hierarchy and it's flat and that there's no hierarchy between men and women. And from those foundational premises, 
the rest of your theologies get built. Hmm. And and really, those are the only complementarians, the um, hierarchists are, they actually have, there's such a, a, a broad difference. Mm-hmm. There's so, there's such a spectrum of the yeah. differences all the way from women really should just stay home to women can be executive pastors. Some complementarian churches say they can even uh, preach in the pulpit as long as men are uh, the senior pastor and the elders. Mm-hmm. And so you have, but they all agree that there is a, a hierarchy. And so it's the one thing that we found that all of those that group agrees on. And so it just seemed to be the the one thing that tied them all mm-hmm. together. And what we found in our research is that they both groups believe that that they both they both believe that all the spiritual gifts are open to both men and women. They both believe they hold a high view of scripture. There are lots of things that they that they they both believe men and women are different. Mm-hmm. That whole issue, which is a huge issue today, mm-hmm. uh, but where they disagree and um, that major difference of that whole idea of of where that organizational structure and then all the implications of that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I love that in your book you present two sides and you often will invite your readers to draw their own conclusions. Can you give us a sample situation where experts disagree? You guys present both sides of the matter and then you give the reader an opportunity to decide for themselves to study. Well, which we, one you want we, to go with? Right, Kelly? I know. You want Old Testament, New Testament? Yeah. yeah. So we've got Genesis. We've got several no. verses in there. We've got Timothy and Corinthians. Um, we've got Deborah. We've got, I mean, yes, there's a, a bunch of them. What do you can think? You, can you think of one from the New Testament? Well, we've got Timothy. I mean, that's yeah. like the, you know, elephant in the room, right? Yeah. Um, so we're talking about First Timothy 2. And I can't quote it. I should be able to by now. But um, Paul is talking to Timothy and telling him, you know, this is how church, this is how to run a a good church and how to protect against, you know, lies and and deceptions and things like that. So where he comes at, you know, I want men to worship with, what was it, with raised hands, not in anger. Mm -hmm. And then he goes, and I do not permit a woman to teach and to have authority, depending on how your translation goes. And then it goes on. So, of course, that's the sticking point. And even today on Twitter, somebody tweeted that at me like that was supposed to just stop me from saying anything like, oh, <laughs> scripture is just so clear. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not the verse to give me if you want to yeah. say scripture is just so clear. We've read tomes of, you know, about that one verse because it's obviously not very clear. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so yeah. we read all of the complementarian uh, heterarch, I'm sorry, hierarch side of things and explained how and why they think that when Paul is talking, he's saying this is a for all time argument because the wording is that for Adam was created before Eve and Eve was deceived. And so the word for, they take it as because, and because it happened in creation, it must be for 
for everybody all time. So I would say that that's the basic idea of, of that side of the argument. So the, you've got heterarchs who also look at that verse and say, well, we need to look at it in context and talk about the whole book of the of uh, First Timothy and see what is he saying to everyone. And then we bring it down to that verse and we have historical, cultural background that will give us a lot more context as to why he's saying what he's saying. And then the, the rest of the verse talks about she'll be safe through childbearing and right. nobody knows what that means. Yes, right. They right. do their yeah. lives. So. Well, and the word authentine is the one that just, that's the, the Greek word for authority. And there are several meanings at that, but one of the meanings that actually is just as plentiful as it can mean just plain authority one over the other, but it can also mean the kind of authority where um, someone takes authority in a way that is, um, what would you say? It's uh, domineering. Domineering. And and what, what Paul is really saying is I, I don't want a woman to take authority uh, over men in in a domineering uh, way which could which could fit with uh, what we see with Artemis worship where uh, women were coming into that into the church from the Artemis call, uh, Artemis worship where women were allowed to be very high and sometimes the top of the mm -hmm. leadership roles so there's just a we have three chapters <laughs> on that me. one verse <laughs> on that on that on that section there, there was a lot of scholarship involved with him yes yeah. yes yeah. yeah three whole chapters and a lot of rewriting <laughs> and a lot of rewriting um, yeah. and to attempt to make it clear and easy to understand because what we find there's 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 arguments on both sides for a lot of these issues mm -hmm. and that's what that's what the reader needs to wrestle with and under and 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 really see the that that's that's the reality yeah I think our goal here was to help readers see that both sides come at this from a well-meaning point of view most scholars out there are arguing because they are convinced that this mm -hmm. is what scripture says, mm -hmm. both sides. And right. so the attacks that we see from one side against the other, screaming about, well, you don't believe in the inerrancy of scripture if you don't see that it's just so clear, or you are just bowing to culture. Or you, they're very mean-spirited. They're not, that whole brotherly and sisterly love is really missing in a lot of these conversations. So we want that this would be a tool that would help people see, look, these are reasonable conclusions that people reach. Mm -hmm. What are we going to do with this? Yeah. Are we going to give each other the benefit of the doubt? You know, give each other grace and help and let's talk. Let's, let's have a conversation now that I kind of know where you're coming from and you know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Because there's so many is other issues that are taking our people away from the Lord today and are taking our children away that are that really ought to be taking priority here right. um, and um, it's time for us to 
th this is not an essential doctrine. This is not a doctrine that is a pillar of the faith that we should be fighting over. Right. This is the kind of thing that the enemy uses to divide us so that we are becoming less and less effective in, in, our, in the culture, fighting the real battles that mm. are taking our, our people away from, from the Lord. Mm. So let's talk about, I know you in Genesis, you guys spend some time there and you specifically spend some time talking too about the different perspectives of what happened at the fall. Can you share uh, what those, what some of those different perspectives are? Uh, yeah. So in uh, Genesis two, it starts there with when man is created first and then the woman created from him. Uh, one of the approaches is to say that, well, because he's created first, the man is just automatically in leadership over the woman. The other side would say, the text does not say that. The text doesn't hint at that. You're reading into that. But in chapter three, when the fall happens, it's very clear that the man is becoming a dominating force over the woman. Now, is that God saying, this is the way it's going to be now? Or is he saying, I'm so sorry, this is how y'all have made this world. This is mm. just the natural consequence of your sin. Uh, prescriptive versus descriptive. Mm -hmm. uh, so both, you know, you've got opposite sides saying one or the other. Mm -hmm. uh, and the implication or the outworking of that is that if one believes that this is the way God has said it's going to be this way, well, then patriarchy and male leadership is the way we are supposed to live our lives. This is his will. And the other side is saying, well, it was actually a result of the fall. And we are supposed to fight the fall. We are supposed to try to bring the kingdom back. And why are we living in this sort of system when Jesus has brought a better way? Yeah, yeah. And that the the view we have of, of Genesis 2 and 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 the creation of man and woman is is so important in what we believe happened there impacts everything else that we believe from that point on. And some, and, and the thing that makes it difficult is that it's narrative literature, it's story. And you might tell a story and I might tell a story, or we might read the same story and you might pull something out of it and say, well, this is what the author meant. And I might pull something out of it and say, no, this is what the author meant. But we have no way of proving that because it isn't, it's not explicit. It's mm -hmm. not clear. It's our opinion. Well, that's pretty much what we see in, in, in the creation. So one group looks at it and says, well, because Adam was formed first, then for that reason, then he is the leader. And the other group says, no, that's not the case. What the point of it really is not about birth order. Uh, in fact, that's really not the theme of the entire Bible. The theme of the entire Bible is that the first will be uh, the last, the first will be last. And we see that with Esau and with with Jacob, and we see it with David, and we see it with so many uh, examples. And so 
um, that so you see that the, there's two ways of looking at it. And, and so that group will say, well, it's really more about unity. It's more about oneness. It's more about supporting each other. And the other group says, no, it's really about the, the order. order of creation. It's about order and that order needs to be maintained. And so you move, through, then you begin to, you pick up that paradigm and you start looking at everything else through that lens, mm -hmm. one lens or the other. And what you choose makes a huge difference in how you see the rest of scripture. Yeah. So we basically start there. We have several chapters on the different perspectives in Genesis, the first Genesis two and three, particularly mm -hmm. they're huge. Let's talk about Deborah and Huldah and Old Testament <laughs> prophecy. I know you guys spend some time there too. Those characters have always fascinated me. <laughs> well, <laughs> to look through the entire scope of scripture, one thing we do is say we can't camp on one verse. So 1 Timothy 2 isn't the only verse that speaks to women in the Bible, as much as some people would love that to be it. So we look back and we start in the Old Testament and are there women leaders? Well, yes, there are. Deborah is being the most prominent one. Uh, she was a judge and a prophet. And the only other one that we know of is Samuel, who had both of those roles other than Moses. And so in Judges 4 and 5, we see her judging and pretty much in the center of the country. And so we've got North and South who can reach her. And this is just an accepted you know, it's presented as, oh, and look, we have a new judge and there she is doing her thing. And then this conflict comes up. So she calls the general, commands him by the Lord, says, do it this way. Um, and then she goes with him and all that. So we have nothing negative about Deborah. She is presented as a strong leader in Israel. Uh, in fact, from there, everything kind of goes downhill. You start to see a lot more flaws in the judges. Uh, and then Hulda is a prophetess in the time of Josiah, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of the later kings and that he found his people, they're cleaning out the temple because it's been in disrepair and they find this scroll and somebody says, oh, that looks important. We need to have it verified. So they call Hulda and they take it to her. And that's really all we know about her. She's a prophetess. And this was during the time of Isaiah, maybe Jeremiah, I forget exactly, but several of the name and, and they're not out of town right they're around yeah and so but they took it to her and she verified yeah. it and said this is the word of the mm -hmm. lord and you need to do a b and c to obey yeah. this word yeah. and they do so pretty impressive there yeah yeah and and hierarchs will say that the lord had to choose those women because there were no men who were capable for some reason the men just weren't able they they weren't qualified and and they would say that when uh, Deborah they would in a way shame Barack and and mm -hmm. make statements mm -hmm. about him that he was a weak leader because he called on Deborah to go with him in the battle uh, the heterarchs take a different stand and and say that there's God never is, he's completely able. He used a donkey. He can use, he can always raise up a man. 
uh, and that he was completely capable of doing that. And that the reason that Barack called Deborah to go with him was because it was like uh, asking God that the, the Deborah was like a, a represented God as his prophetess. Mm -hmm. And it was like having God go with you into the battle. And now we also see, though, that some heterarchs go too far and say that Deborah actually uh, was the warrior that uh, marched in there uh, beside Barak into the battle. And we don't have any, nothing in scripture says that. So both of the, both groups uh, sometimes stretch the, their, their, their particular views, we call it um, it's a, a term I actually gathered from a friend of mine back in seminary, speak what we call evangelistically. They stretch what's going on to support their perspective. And both sides do this. Mm. And both sides would be, and they do it because they just seem to not be able to admit that some of this is not quite as cut and dry, black and white, as clear as they mm -hmm. want it to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love it. I love it. There's a lot. There's a lot in this book. I cannot recommend highly enough that people grab a copy because they, we're just talking about little snippets, but there are 40 questions <laughs> uh, that, that Sue and Kelly tackle. Um, I want to talk about the final chapter of the book, which is making churches safe for women. This mm -hmm. is huge. This is a really important topic. It has especially been important in our culture. It's been, it uh, seems like it's been in the forefront of some of our discussions in recent months. Tell us about why you chose to make this a chapter in your book. Let me, I'll let Sue tackle most of that, but I do want to say our friend and colleague, Misty Hedrick, wrote this for us. We had another friend, Cynthia, who, uh, Cynthia Hester, who wrote some of the history chapters uh, as part of her expertise. And Misty did this one, um, and we just love what she was able to put together. So I just want to give her credit for that. Um, yes. But yeah. You know, we're, yeah. we live in churches where, you know, Me Too and Church Too um, is just everywhere. And so we knew we needed to address this. And she wrote this before the, um, the Southern Baptist Convention and the scandals that started breaking this last summer. I, I, it is heartbreaking what, what we're seeing today. But, but in a way, it's very, very sad. And it's causing people to walk away, and particularly women. But I'm hopeful that there will be a cleansing and a change of the way that we have tended to do this because uh, the, she calls for an end to cover-ups. Uh, mm -hmm. Part of it is not just the, the, um, the actions which are horrendous because if you have powerful people, there, there's, it's very easy to set a, an ethos or an environment where abuse can happen if you don't have accountability and uh, a, a, a place where people can go and talk openly and they and they can be listened to well and we have had 
churches care more about their own reputation of their mm -hmm. uh, leaders than about keeping uh, people safe in 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 their midst and the the jurisdiction of a, the, the church is not uh, for criminal activity the church has no jurisdiction mm -hmm. if there is criminal activity it is to be mm -hmm. taken out into the the bible talks the government has a jurisdiction over criminal activity and the church has tried to usurp that and it's mm -hmm. gotten itself in all kinds of trouble as as a result and this is horrendous and yet maybe there will be some serious cleansing that needs to take place and that's that's certainly my hope and and prayer that that we can see a, a real change but yes yeah, she did a, a, a an excellent job on the chapter and i think it's a good way to end in the book yeah, I think it reinforces the idea that this question is important. The mm -hmm. the idea of women and their role in the church life, uh, it matters. Yes. It does. It does matter. Well, thank you guys for writing this incredibly um, important book. I know that it's going to be incredibly helpful for so many who are in church leadership, um, so many who want to dive into the issue of women in ministry. And again, the title of the book is 40 Questions About Women in Ministry. It's published by Kriegel Academic. But don't let that in, um, intimidate you. It's, That's right. It's, it's written for yeah. everybody. That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. We worked very hard to make it yeah. understandable. Yeah. We as Sue easily... kept telling me, quit with the theological word. I did. Say it in regular language. I, I did. <laughs> and I, yeah, I made her do that mm -hmm. because that was, that's what we, we really wanted. And we made it as, as clear as mm -hmm. we possibly could. Mm -hmm. um, and that's our hope that, that again. Um, yeah. Well, we, you know, I, I teach uh, students to teach the Bible clearly to a lay audience um, as well as the doctoral courses in this topic. And so combining those two, I uh, was hopeful that we could do this. And, uh, and Kelly has just been uh, a marvelous co-author to be uh, with all of her expertise in, in the languages and all that she brings to the table in her writing skills. So it's been a joy. I'm glad it's done. It's the <laughs> toughest book we ever tackled by far. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah. We hope that the fruit will be a uh, good, yeah. uh, good for the church and yeah. good for people and for men and women. We need strong men, but we need strong women too. And mm -hmm. we hope that that will be the, the result. Yeah, this is a, a great resource. We also wanted to share with our audience um, about another resource that Beyond Ordinary Women has on video and podcast. Uh, Natalie Eastman uh, did a video with us called Why Study Biblical Issues for Yourself. Mm -hmm. And that really ties in well with what we've talking, been talking about with Sue and Kelly. It is important to study these biblical issues for ourselves. So we hope that that will be a resource as well. We have many other resources available to you on our website. Our web address is www.beyondordinarywomen.org. 
and we would love to see you there. Again, Sue and Kelly, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for inviting us. Thanks for listening to the Beyond Ordinary Women podcast. You can find more podcast episodes and resources for women in leadership by going to beyondordinarywomen.org. This podcast is produced by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministry. Our production team includes Evelyn Babcock, Kay Daigle, Deborah Herring, and Sharifa Stevens. Theme music, Back in Stride by Don Miller, used courtesy of Christine Miller.